Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Vinnie Commons is my name. I'm speaking to you from Merseyside, from Southport, and just down the road is where Billy lives. So, Billy, welcome to you. Hi, Ben. Okay. Okay. Now, tell us, for the people who don't know you, what you're doing at the moment, work-wise, etc. Tell us about your family. Um, well, married to Joanne. She's my lovely wife of 30 years. Uh, I've got two lovely kids, Zoe and Zach. Uh, I think Zoe might be watching, actually, um, up in the other end of Liverpool. And I'm a self-employed builder at the moment. So. Okay, and you've also been in the world of education, haven't you? Yeah, yeah I, was a, I was a teacher, primary school teacher for 14 years, and deputy head teacher for six of those years. Okay. Now, Billy, 31 years ago, April the 15th, yeah. 1989, what do you remember about the day? I, I was in Liverpool. I remember it was a very hot day. What do you remember? Yeah, it's um, it was a just a, another normal Saturday to us. You know, we were going to the match. We were expecting to win. We didn't. We, we knew we were going to win. It was, it was always the way. It was just how, how good we were going to play. Um, and we just we just took off and in, in the car. Three of us in the car. Uh, our other friends had gone down to Aston Villa because he was an Evertonian. Um, and so we just made our way to, to Sheffield on the motorway. So how many uh, were in the car? Three, three of us. Okay, yeah. you went the game and, uh, Liverpool were playing, um, Forest. And you yeah. played Forest a year earlier, hadn't you? Or you played on yeah. that ground? Same, same ground as well, same game, yeah. yeah. Okay, and it was the FA Cup semi-final. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Now, when you made it to um, Hillsborough, Sheffield, uh, yeah. what do you remember about the scenes? Because it looked very intense outside. Yeah, was, um, as I say, when you when you got to the ground, there was um, it was like a, a huge courtyard uh, where the where the gates were to get into the Leppens Lane, and, uh, and as as you come round the corner, uh, there was just chaos. There was there was no we were expecting to be in lines like you usually do when you used to go to Anfield. You always had to line up to get into a match. This one, there was just, there was no organisation outside. Um, just a, everyone was making a bottleneck to get to these gates because, as I say, it was getting close to kick off. Uh, such a big game. Okay. Um, and there was just, there was people everywhere, as I say. No you were a regular, usually you'd be a regular on the cop, so you'd be used to sort of swaying and pushing and shoving. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You're used okay. to that. Yeah. Now, Billy, they said that when they opened the gate to relieve the pressure on the crowd and then there was a surge of people into the ground itself, yeah. there was a tunnel. Tell us what you remember about going straight down that tunnel. Yeah, I was, I was outside. Um, and it was the, the, the only way you can describe it, it was like a, someone pulling a plug and the pressure just eased. And, you know, say the crowd went through those gates uh, and I, I was just carried along. You, you just got swept with the crowd. Uh, you got, got through the gates and you seen the tunnel into the, the sensor pen. Um, but there was nobody, no stewards in the tunnel entrance. So I, it was only later on, I think it was about a week later, I realised there was two other entrances to get in. But nobody knew because all you seen was this tunnel. Um, yeah. And as I say, you just got carried through the tunnel and into the into, into the Leppens laying end, which okay. as I say was the, the sensor pen. And this te you, took you straight down behind the goal, and Grobelar was in goal for Liverpool, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, en I ended up about, about um, I ended up about 12, 15 foot away from the fence, um, just to the right of the right hand post. Okay. I say it took me about probably 60 seconds to two minutes at the most from outside the ground to get where I ended okay. up. Now, um, Billy, did your friends stick with you, or did you all get sort of mingled in the crowd? Now we, we, I say, I, I, um, we lost touch with each other outside the ground. So I, I was, um, I was behind a police horse, and as soon as the gate opened, I, I seemed to get taken around the right hand side, and I, I didn't see them for another probably two or three hours after I'd made my way back to the car. Okay, at um, six minutes past three, the referee stopped the game, but yeah. you had been used to being on the cop where the cop would sway forward and then yeah. sway back. When did you start getting worried about the intensity and the crush? Um, it was, as I say, when when you were in the crowd, you you, you didn't realise 
uh, how bad it was because it was just a football match. You, you know, we, 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 you never expect anything like that. You know, I was just going to a footy game, a semi-finals, big game, and I was going to come home. You know, but once we were in the crowd, when we we went, for, I think it was Peter Beardsley um, hit the post. I think it was um, at the start of the game. So the crowd went forward again, as you usually do in a football match. Hmm. But you usually come back. That was the whole fun of being in the cop. You know, you started, you, you got in one side and you always ended up somewhere else, totally different place in the cop. But you'd always move forward and back. You went side to side. Um, but this time, as you went forward, we didn't come back. You were expecting to come back, but, but we didn't this time. Um, and it was only probably, as I say, time was irrelevant to me. Um, it was only when I, I saw a man die in front of me because he was facing away from the pitch. He turned around completely. Um, as, as we didn't get released from this press, it was only when I watched him die in front of me that I realized this is, serious you know something needs to be done um but okay. there was no release we couldn't move sideways we couldn't move forward back you just kept getting pushed further and further forwards but it was only small amounts but it was just like you were in you were in a vice being tightened and tightened and tightened now billy you you mentioned about the people i was really hot i know that and also to the right and left and in front of you with this incredible crush just describe to your right, to your left, and tell us about the man that you spoke to in the crush. Yeah, um, as I say, when, when I, um, where I actually ended up just behind the goal, um, I had my left arm was up across my chest and my other arm was up in the air. Um, so I had, I had some fella's head on my hand, another fella's face on my elbow, and I had this arm here. So I, I think that's what saved me initially. Because I didn't have this initial crush on my chest. Um, and as I say, it was only later on when you, when things settled down a little bit that you realised we couldn't spread out to the side because there was two huge barriers, um, penning in the away supporters. Cause if, if they hadn't have been there, they'd have just spilled out to the side. We'd have all been able to move, but because they, uh, they were split into sections, that's why we couldn't move. And with the gates opening, everybody, all you seen was the tunnel. That was all you seen. You didn't, I, I didn't know there was, there was other entrances because there was nobody there. So if you'd have gone right or left, you'd have entered an area which should have been much more free. Yeah. Yeah. That's now, it. Billy, tell us about the noises around you. What do you remember? Because people just, were dying, dying. Yeah. It was just, I say the, the main, the main noises were just the screaming, you know, everyone. It's just, trying to get to the fence, you know, for hopefully to get pulled over the fence. Um, a lot of people just screaming, no, for help. The fellow with me next to me was screaming for help. I'm screaming at him, I can't move. You can hear everyone else saying they can't move, and I, I couldn't help them. You wanted to help everyone, but you just couldn't do anything because you were just so tight. And then every time you move forward a fraction more, you just got tighter again. It was just, it was, it was that, um, it was just the helplessness that was, at that time, was the worst part of it. Because you've always been, I have anyway, I've always been a person who would always have a way out of something. I could either run or I'd fight. But this time I couldn't do anything. I was just so helpless. And that, that's what was really, at, the, at that point, was, was really affecting me then. I couldn't help anyone because I couldn't move. You know, you just jammed in this position. Yeah. Now, by keeping your arms up, you said that you didn't then slip below people and that had been a big danger. So uh, that was a key thing. But, Billy, you you believe that God spoke to you in that crowd, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. As I say, um, I'd never been into church. I'd never been a Christian. Um, I didn't hate it. I hated it. I didn't want to do with it. All, all I wanted to do was just play football and go to pubs with my mates. So there was nothing religious about anything there was not I didn't believe in God or anything like that but at at, the, at one point I just knew I wasn't going to get out I knew I was dying um and it, it's a funny thing that the the one thing that was going through my mind was I was ruining my sister's birthday party because it was her 18th birthday 
and my dad had made a pass, sort of a party out for her later on that night, and that's all that was going through my mind. I'm not going to get out of here. I knew I, I was going to die. I'd, I'd come to that point, and that's all I was worrying about was this party's going to get ruined now. And then I got to the point where I, I, I could feel myself going, and I just felt myself getting pulled down. Um, I was getting hotter and hotter as I was getting pulled down. Uh, and, and as clear as I'm talking to you, as clear as I'm talking to anybody any time, the voice just went call out to me. Sorry, uh, you said the voice said what? Call call out to me. That's all it said. And I didn't didn't know who it was. I thought it was somebody in the crowd, and I seemed to snap back a little bit into reality, thinking I'm by the fence. Someone's going to pull me out. Um, and when I realised whether well, I was still in the same position, still trapped with these two fellas with me, everyone's still screaming. And I just, I knew I was dying. I say, I, I, looking back now, I was probably 30 seconds away from, from going. And I knew I was going again. I started my same thing again. I started getting, felt that I was getting pulled down. I started, the heat started again. Um, and then again, this, this voice just said, call out to me. Didn't shout, didn't beg, didn't, um, keep going and going on about it. It just went, call out to me. But there was so much authority in this voice. Um, and for some reason, as I said, I'd never been into church, I'd never been into God or anything. I just looked up in the sky and I just said, if you're real, I said, if you're there, get me out. And then the second I said it, the crowd moved back. Only about 12 inches, um, but it was enough for me to drop my arms and get some breath into my lungs. Um, and then once I'd done that, I was able to pull this fellow who was with me at the side. And then, as I say, it was just a case of fight for survival and you just knew you had to get out. We couldn't go to the front over the fence. So we had to make our way back out through the tunnel, which took, I don't know, probably another 30, 40 minutes. I don't know, um, to actually get out into the courtyard again. Now, Billy, we, we're not here to lay any blame, but you were telling me once that some children or people had made it to the front over the heads of the crowd. And yeah. because of the angle of the railings, they couldn't lift themselves up, but they ended up getting pushed back in. Do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him, especially one, one young lad anyway. He, he, he was almost getting over and got pushed back in. Um, as I say, it was always in your mind. If you trip or you go over, you knew you, you're not going to get up. In this one, it was just so so tightly packed. You know, there was just nothing you could do. Okay, now this voice you heard twice, and this um, space that you got for extra breath. When eventually you made your way out, were you avoiding bodies? What 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 was going on under your feet, for example? Yeah, as I say, once once I did turn around um, and got a lot of breath back into my lungs. You, you were tripping on people, you know, it was, I, I don't know how we got out because people were still coming in at the back. Um, but it's this survival instinct takes over. We, we, we just seemed to worm our way through. Um, there was people in the tunnel on the floor, you know, people had collapsed. There was people in the courtyard outside who obviously had made it out, but it collapsed. And then in hindsight, you know, some of them had died. It wasn't just actually in the crush. They, they got out into the, the, the tunnel as well. Um, it's just, as I say, it was just horrific, horrific day that could have been avoided, you know. How many minutes do you think you were trapped for? Um, as I say, time was irrelevant then. Um, I probably, I don't know, probably about 30, 40 minutes I was in the jammed position, I think, you know, and then probably another 30, maybe 40 minutes to try and get out, so. Yeah. So over, over an hour and all, maybe to, just to get back into the courtyard. So. Now, Billy, once you sort of got out of the panic of it and you were able to get breath and try and pull yourself together, we, we didn't have any mobile phones in those days, but you managed to make yourself make your way to a phone. T- tell us what happened there. Yeah, yeah as I say, I got, um, eventually got into the courtyard. Um, and as I say, my main concern then was where are my mates, you know, there's, um, there was three of us. I don't know where they'd gone. Um, and you couldn't get back in. So we, we always used to say, you know, if you, if you do get lost, go back to the car, make your way back to the car. Um, so I say I eventually did 
did get to try to say it took me a while because I didn't realise um, Sheffield's on seven hills and we, I just knew we'd gone up a hill into an estate. So uh, I was walking. I don't even know where I was walking. I was just looking for a hill and then I was just walking up with those houses and there's ambulances flying past. There's, there's um, the old telephone boxes on the street and there's, there was queues waiting to get to the phone boxes. So I eventually found the car um, sat on the pavements, uh, and my mates weren't there at that time. Uh, and then that's when the, it's the first time in my life I just started to cry, really cry. So I didn't know whether they were coming back. I didn't know whether they had died. Um, and then this tap on the shoulder, this fella said, yeah, get in, lads, go and ring your mum, tell you you're all right. And that was somebody who owned the house bringing you in? Yeah, we parked outside the house. I didn't know how he knew but when I got into the house, it was on the television. You know, the, it was all over the telly. There was probably about 15, 20 scousers in his house. You know, he'd all, he'd brought them all in. He'd all had a phone call. Um, so I just rang my mum and got through. And I could hear my dad crying in the background. And I just went, I'm all right, and put the phone down. That's all I could say. And then I just went and sat outside on the pavement. And I was saying, I just cried. That's the first time in my life I've cried properly. Okay. Now, Billy, you were a, a builder at the time, and yeah. how did you cope with the sort of trauma that probably kept coming into your mind daily, and the pictures that came back, and the flashbacks? How how do you cope with that? What do you do? Yeah, well, I say my release was to, to drink. Um, as I say, as I've, I've been um, I've been drinking since I was about fourteen. Was this like uh, Merseyside tea? Was it sort of thing? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, special, special brown from Newcastle, yeah. <laughs> oh, I see, go on. Yeah. Um, you, you, you really I've, worked and drunk? Well, I say I, I was off work for quite a few weeks because um, I damaged my back. I've, I've, in the um, crowd, you damaged with, in the crowd. Yeah, with, with, with the crush, I've actually, um, it's, it's pushed one of my discs and my lower back into my spinal column. So there's nothing they can do. They can't, they can operate, but they said I'll be in a wheelchair for six months, so I just said, well, I'll come back when I can't walk. Um, so I, I, I was off for, for quite a while. Um, but I was always having nightmares every time I go to sleep. I was having nightmares. I was waking up sweating. I was waking up screaming, always going back into the crowd. Um, and then I found out the faster I got drunk, I'd collapse somewhere. I'd wake up somewhere in a bush or in a bus stop or whatever. Um, like where, where I used to live at the time. We used to go to Bootle for a drink, so I'd always, I knew I'd start in Bootle, but I'd wake up somewhere else in Liverpool. I haven't got a clue how I'd got there. Um, and I just realised the faster I drunk and got drunk, I passed out. And when I was passed out, there was no nightmares. So that became the norm then, every, almost every night of the week. And then did it became every uh, night of the week then. Did you, Bill, uh, get any medical help? Uh, no, not really. No, I, I went... Um, to the doctors once and they just said, oh, you just need a sick note. That's all. Not that's all, all I got. Uh, it was only later on. Um, obviously a year later, I went to the actual hospital, uh, with my wife, me, me then wife, Joe. Um, and they said, done all the scans, all the x-rays and just said, the actual spine is straight. It's not curved the way it should be. But because psychologically, did you get any help? Other than you? No. Think- no, because I, I didn't, I, I, I was of that ilk that if yeah. you haven't been through what I've been through, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. So I never used to go to, but I didn't want to speak to anybody. I just wanted to drink and that was it. Okay. Get drunk. Now, Billy, you were to hear this voice again and it was to really impact your life. And it wasn't in the football ground. It was actually in the church. So what led up to you getting into yeah. that church? <laughs> Well, it was, um, as I say, I met my wife, I was, uh, Hillsborough was in the April, um, and I just went on this downward spiral, uh, drinking all the time, falling over, waking up, whatever, um, and I was killing myself through the drink then. Um, what happened was I met my me, uh, my wife in the September, um, got engaged in December, I was married the week before Hillsborough, the first anniversary of Hillsborough, so within six months, the Lord had picked me up and gave me this amazing woman, you know, to but marry. Well, that was the last thing on me. Now, you? Yeah, Sorry. You're saying that um, 
God had affected your life. But when did you hear the voice again that you'd heard in the crowd? Uh, it was probably about, um, it was the Christmas Eve of that year after I'd been married. Uh, so probably 1990. Um, I was working, I was decorating a friend of my mum and dad's who was a Christian. Uh, and yeah, he'd had a good laugh with him. He was, he was a Liverpool supporter, so it was okay. But he always, he'd always want to talk to you about God. And I was, oh, so and my dad was sending me to his house all the time to do work on his house. Um, <laughs> and I just went, it was Christmas, I was decorating, and he, he just said to me, he said, um, I'm talking on Christmas Eve, do you want to come along and see what it's like? Uh, and I just, for some reason, I went, yeah, okay, I'll come. Not knowing what was going to happen. Um, and I, I went home and said to the house, I've just said I'm going to church on Christmas Eve. And uh, she said, why? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so, so she said, well, you, you best go because he's, um, he's got the wages for Christmas, hasn't he? So <laughs> if you don't go, he mightn't pay you. So I went I, I went on the into the pub. It was back when the pubs were still shut in the afternoon. So I went um, just before they shut. I had about three or four pints. I, was, I wasn't going to church sober. I thought, I'll go and sit in the back. And I'll just wave to him and, and he'll see me and then he can't say anything then. But as I'm sitting there, he starts talking about uh, Jesus. And as he's saying Jesus, my heart starts pounding in my chest. And then he's talking about the blood. And it wasn't the baby Jesus, which I was expecting. I was just expecting the nativity to come out, you know, the, the, the donkeys and the shepherds and all that. And that was it. But he starts talking about, you know, the man Jesus, you know, that he's died for his sins, that, you know, his blood's washed his, his sins away. And every time he was saying it, my heart was pounding up my chest and I didn't know what was going on. So I, I went home and I say, didn't, didn't understand what was going on. Um, but I always remembered, he said, you know, if ever you want to have a read, read John, read the gospel of John. And when I told my mum that I was going to church, I think she'd had a Bible ready for the, about 10 years to give me or something. So she, she'd give me a Bible um, and I just opened it. I started reading John. Uh, and it, it was like um, it was like a huge jigsaw piece. And every, when I was reading it, it was like everything was just slotting into place. Um, when I read about this, that slotted into place. And I just realised then it, it all just seemed to this big picture that appeared then that Jesus is who he says he is and that the person I spoke to in the ground was Jesus Christ and that he'd saved me and I knew once I'd read through John I knew what I had to do I knew I had to get on my knees in repentance and I knew I had to accept him as my Lord and Saviour so as I said I just went in my bedroom shut the door and just said that I, you know, I don't know where this is going to go I don't know what I don't know what I was to pray I don't know what do you wear when you go to church? I have to get a suit. Do I have to? What do I do? I don't know anything about it, you know. And I just said, I know who you are. I know you spoke to me, so I just I give you my life. I come in repentance. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to do it. Just guide me and help me. Um, I just knew from that time that this peace came over me. Then um, the the nightmares had stopped. Um, the He'd clean my mouth up within a couple of weeks and my mouth was like a sewer. Uh, and he just touched it. It wasn't all at once. He said, right, now it's time to do this. Now it's time to do that. Mm. And I thought the drinking would be the big one. Um, but as I say, again, within a couple of weeks, I'd give it to him. I said, I can't do it on my own. And he just took the, the love of it away. I don't, I don't need it anymore. I don't want it anymore. Um, and as I say, it's nearly, nearly 30 years since I've had a pint. Um, Billy, what did your wife think of all this? Yeah, she thought it was a nut job. So. <laughs> she just <laughs> said, well, if that... In English, that's, that's, that means you thought you'd lost so, it, didn't it? Yeah, she thought, well, if, if, if that's what's going to help you, then fair enough. And um, she, she did come to church with me a couple of times, but then she just said, well, I don't believe it. Yeah. So I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not going to sit here for you or for anybody. Yeah. Um, as I say... And um, I just went fair enough, you know, and I'm you know, still praying for her now. I know, I know she, she is going to become a Christian at one point. It's, yeah. in, it's in the Lord's hands at this time. So. Now, Billy, uh, people have incredible stories to tell, but yours is one of the most fascinating. What would you say to somebody who perhaps says, well, 
I don't believe there is a God or I don't think there is one. I've sort of tried to find him, but, you know, they've not had the sort of drama that you've had, but nevertheless, yeah. they don't believe, but they'd like to believe. What What would you say to such a person? Well, I'd, I'd say, I'd say I've spoken to quite a lot of people over the years. You know, you, you, I can say, I can only tell you what happened to me. And I know there is a God. I know that Jesus Christ is real, that he, he is who he says he is. You know, that he did die on the cross. He died for you. He died for me. You know, if he died for me, he'd die for anybody. Cause I was, I was horrible. You know, I, uh, my mouth, my, my whole attitude was just horrible. It was just me, me, me. Um, but he's there for everyone. You know, it's, it's the, the whoever, whoever believes in me. That's who it is. And that's, that's who, who we've got to reach. And that's who I'd say to, you know, when I'm speaking to people, yeah. you're the whoever that he is real, you know, go and get a Bible or I'll give them a Bible. Go and read the Gospel of John. Go and search him for yourself. Go and look for him for yourself because he loves you. You know, he died for you. And it doesn't matter what we've done. We've got to come to that cross and repentance. And then he's there. He will fill us with the Holy Spirit. He'll pick us up, dust us down, and then he's with us for the rest of our life then. Billy, let's just pretend for a moment. Let's say that you were back at 21, 22 and you're in that crowd. And you didn't, you didn't survive. You'd gone under. Yeah. Would you have made it to heaven? No, not known. Now, not known yeah, what I know now. No. Yeah. Let's say, no. yeah, but my then question is, today's your last day on planet Earth, and I, I don't wish that on you, but would you make it to heaven today? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. So I've, what, got the, what, I've got the issue on to me, I know. That he's alive. I know that he's he's my saviour. I've given my life to him. I've accepted him as my Lord and Saviour. And I know through the promises in the Bible that he's he's coming back for me. And if I do go tonight and, and I've got that assurance that I will be with him in glory. And that's the insurance, the the assurance that everybody can have. That, you know, yeah. if we do go to because that's the one thing we don't know is when we're gonna go. You know, we're all different ways in our lives, different jobs, whatever, but we're all going to come to that point where we're going to die. Mm. And it's where are we going? You know, have we made that decision to accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? And I did. Yeah, but you, of course, to make your point, you know, you went on a Sunday day to watch an FA Cup semi-final and 96 people didn't make it home. Now, Billy, um, your team have actually won a couple of trophies the last couple of seasons, haven't they? But uh, do you still go on to watch them? No, I can't afford it, no. It costs too much. <laughs> Is that <laughs> no. right? So you just yeah. watch on the box now and again, do you? I can't even watch it on the telly because you've got to pay for that as well. So <laughs> I, I, go, I go down I go down when my daughter invites me for the match. So. <laughs> well, well, if you really want a good team to watch, you can always watch Leeds. They got promoted this weekend. That's but, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, Billy, the anthem to Liverpool is you will never walk alone. Yeah. Now, does that apply to you? Yeah, it's it's funny you should say that because I've I've just finished um, a sermon yesterday. I'm, I'm going to do for church on you'll never walk alone. The actual words on you'll never walk alone because um, it's it's so powerful. You know, it, it's it's not just a song for the football club. When you actually look at the words and you put it mm. into you put Jesus in it, and once you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you never walk alone. You know, whatever valley you go through, whatever storm you face, and we are going to face storms. You know, he's he's there with us. That's that's the promise that he gives us. You know that he's he's there, like the the disciples in the boat. You know, he wasn't with them, but he was watching them. He was praying for them, mm. praying to the Lord for them, interceding. And then okay. he's there. Okay. Billy, thank you ever so much. We're going to hand back in a moment to David. Thank but you. People will be asking you no doubt questions. One last question from me. Um, what did all your mates who shared in your drinking habits think? I know, I know they had last, le- one less to pay for, but, um, how did they respond? Yeah, I just thought it was a nutter. I haven't seen them. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I said there was a Christian, they, they all got off. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But so. you're glad you're a Christian today? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't change it for the world, yeah. Okay. 
Thanks, Bill. We'll have yeah, back. thank you, Bill. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, a very good evening to you. Thank you, Vinny, uh, and, and thank you, Billy. It is interesting, actually. Um, when you go into Liverpool, so I do a lot of uh, open air work uh, going out as a street preacher. And whenever you sort of raise the subject of Hillsborough, even today, there's a lot of heated emotions. Uh, I live in Wigan. If you go to Wigan, people have got a lot of big opinions on Hillsborough. So really staying with that theme tonight, I'd like to um, I'd like to present to you the six most hated men who've ever walked planet Earth. So if I asked you who are the six most hated men, who would be in that list for you? Who would you add to that list? Perhaps you might think, well, well, I think there's probably someone shouting right now, Dominic Cummings. Maybe he'd be added to your list. Uh, perhaps you might think uh, maybe the, the cop who killed George Floyd. I wonder who you would add to that list. So uh, I went to the, the all source of wisdom. I went to Google and found out who were the six uh, most hated people. So here's number one for you. OK, recognize this man. That's Adolf Hitler. What's he well known for? He was a, a wicked man. He was responsible for the Holocaust uh, and he had thousands, millions killed uh, under his rule. Now, does anyone recognize this one? I think this is getting a little bit harder. Uh, maybe if you've been uh, watching Netflix recently, you might recognize him. Let me hold him up for you there. Do you know who that is? That's uh, Ted Bundy. He was a serial killer in America and he was particularly very cruel uh, to women. OK, this one here. What about this one? You see that guy there? Uh, sometimes when I do this talk to kids, uh, they get a bit mixed up and they think it's another dictator who's, uh, uh, who's around in North Korea. But it's not him. It's actually Chairman Mao. OK, so that's number three. And this one here, we will all recognize him. OK, that's uh, Jimmy Savile. Uh, and we won't speak of what he's done, but a wicked man. Again, someone who produces really strong reactions. And then we come to these two. Does, do you know who these two are? I wish I could hear your voices right now. Yeah. So this one's Ian Brady. And who's she? That's Myra Hindley right there. So here we are. We've got five really hated people. Now, I wonder if there's anyone now who's just tuned in on YouTube and you've lost all of the context. You didn't hear Billy before. I guarantee now I'm going to reveal to you who the sixth most hated person on planet Earth is. I'm going to reveal to you who that person is. And I guarantee that I think someone who's just tuned on YouTube will turn off right now because you do not like this person. Whenever this name is raised, people want to get out of the conversation. There's always a reaction and they want nothing to do with it. So who do you think number six is? Now, just before I do reveal who number six is, it was said about this person that he was hated without a reason. So if you turn off right now off YouTube, just before you go, do a favor for me and think, what is the reason why I don't want to think about this person? What is the reason why I don't like this person? Here's number six. It's Jesus. Now, that's <laughs> it's backwards because of the, the webcam, but I'm sure you got the idea. It's Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it that people hate Jesus? Why is it people don't like Jesus? Perhaps you're thinking, well, Joe, I don't think that's really accurate. I don't hate Jesus. I'm just not born again like you. I'm not just, you know, one of these religious fanatics like you. In fact, I don't really care about Jesus. Well, Jesus at times was very cut and dry. And he said, you're either for me or you're against me. So either love me or, or you're my enemy. But why is it that people don't really like to think about Jesus? Well, it's interesting. Jesus was actually the opposite of all of these people. Uh, Ted Bundy, what was he known for? He was really horrid, despicable to women. Do you know, once there was a time when uh, Jesus was out in the marketplace and these sort of Pharisees, these religious snobs, you know, uh, blue collared people came up and they, they threw a woman in front of him. This woman had been caught cheating. She'd been caught uh, committing adultery. They didn't throw the man out. They just threw uh, the woman who'd been cheating in the streets and they picked up these big stones and they got excited. and They said, we're going to stone this one. We're going to kill her. And Jesus stood in the way of them and said, no, wait a second. Which of you has never done anything wrong? Which of you has never committed a sin? You can be the first one to throw the first stone. And suddenly they were completely silent. They had nothing to say. Now, Jesus really did. He, he stood up for women's rights. Uh, we mentioned Dominic Cummings before. Can you imagine Dominic Cummings? I remember a 
couple of weeks ago, those uh, journalists giving Dominic a real big roasting. Can you imagine after that had all happened, if Dominic got down onto the floor, got a, a bowl of water and started washing those journalists' feet? Did he do that? I don't think he would. Could you imagine Hitler doing that? Chairman Mao? They wouldn't. And yet Jesus Christ got down on the floor and he washed the disciples' feet. He even washed the person who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot, the one who would put him on the cross, if you like. So Jesus was very different to those. And yet people don't like Jesus. We need to imagine something. Uh, me and you were sitting on a train together. Forget about social distancing. This is a time when there's no social distancing. I'm sat next to you. You're sat next to me. And we start chatting about different things. We talk about each other's interests. We talk about uh, politics, the weather. And you say to me, I say, well, what is it you really like? And perhaps you're like, Billy, you really love football. And then you say to me, what is it that you're really interested in? And I say, well, actually, the most important thing to me is Jesus Christ. What is going to be running through your mind? You're going to think out of all the people on this train, I would have to get stuck next to the God bobber. I would have to sit next to, uh, you know, the Bible basher. Why me? And you try and change the subject. It happens a lot. I, I promise me. I, I promise you when I speak to people, they love to change the subject. So I do wonder now, what do you think of Jesus? Maybe you hate him. Maybe you don't think much of him. But can I tell you something? Can I tell you what Jesus thinks of you? Jesus loves you. He thinks the world of you. In fact, that verse we heard just before, Jesus once said this. Greater love hath no man than this, and that he lays down his life for his friends. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago in the news, those uh, boys who, well, not weeks ago, sorry, a couple of years ago, uh, those boys who got trapped in a cave in Thailand and uh, People were very scared and there was no way of getting them out. But there was one British scuba diver and he went down underneath all of those uh, tight bends in that cave. And very sadly, he died and it melted the nation's heart. We were so through what courage. And yet Jesus Christ died for you and me. He laid down his life for you and me because we're sinners. Whoa, whoa, wait a second, Joe. Don't call me a sinner. I mean, I'm not like any of those people in that list. I'm no Hitler. I'm not a Saville. No, you're probably right. You're not. I mean, I'm guessing now people listening, your, your lovely grandmas, your, your lovely grandpas, brothers, sisters. If I fell down in the road, you'd probably come and help me and look after me. You're probably, you know, lovely people. But it doesn't change the fact that we are sinners. It doesn't change the fact that We've all broken God's law. We've all gone our own way and rebelled against the God who has given us breath in our lungs right now. It's a bit like this. Uh, let's go back to childhood. OK, I want you to imagine um, your mum dresses you and she puts you in a white shirt, white trousers and white shoes. And in your mother's house is uh, white walls, white carpet, white ceilings. Everything's pristine. Everything's perfectly white. It's lovely. And you go out one day and you've got all of your white clothes on. And then you just get the tiniest speck of dog muck, the tiniest speck of dog muck on the sole of your shoe. And your mum sees it just before you enter the house. Is your mother going to let you into the house? She's not, is she? Because you'd ruin it. And likewise, heaven is perfect. There's no sin. There's no pain. There's no suffering. It's just pristine. It's perfect. And if we entered there with just a tiny smudge of sin, we'd ruin it like we've ruined planet Earth. Let's be honest. We've all told lies. We've all got skeletons in the closet. We've, we're proud. We, we've done all these things and we've broken God's commands. We need to be made clean. So who can make us clean? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had a crown of thorns smashed into his skull, the one who had his beard plucked out, the one who had his back. It was plowed through with a whip. He had nails through his hands and his feet. He was stripped naked, ashamed there, bleeding there, dying for you and me, because you and me, we've done wrong things. Jesus never did anything wrong. He was the perfect one who only was the only person to walk through this world without doing anything wrong. And there he was taking the sin that you and I have done in his body and suffering there. Uh, my friend Roger, who you saw at the beginning, he puts it like this. It's almost as if God the Father rolled up his sleeves and he reached into every person's heart and pulled out all of the muck, all of the grime, all of the sin. He rolled it up into a ball and he embedded it on Jesus. And then Jesus was punished, was crushed there. 
for all the wrong things you and I have done. So if we bow the knee, if we call out to Jesus and say, forgive me, he can cleanse us and wash us white and snow. Is anyone smiling now? Is anyone thinking that's pretty good news? Well, here's another bit of good news for you. So Jesus, he died on the cross. But what happened on the third day? On the third day, our Lord and Savior, he rose from the dead. Why am I a Christian? I'm a Christian because Jesus is the only one to do the impossible. He's the only one to conquer the grave. And that means that if you and I put our trust in him, one day he can conquer your grave. If you die and then three days later come back from the dead, I'll listen so carefully to you. And that's why we listen carefully to Jesus when he says, I can wash you white and snow. I can forgive you. I can give you a new hope. I can give you a home in heaven. Come to me. I love you. I want to save you. So again, as Roger said at the beginning, this is the last talk we're going to do for, for a little while now. We're going to come back after the summer and we're going to restart. But I do wonder now, how many of these talks have you heard? How many times have you heard this, this message that Jesus Christ loved you, that he died for you? How many times have you been asked to, to turn from your sins and to give your life to the Lord? How many more messages will you have to hear before you finally make a decision? Perhaps you're sitting on the fence. Well, I'm going to ask you tonight, would you reach out your hand and reach into the hand of God and say, please save me tonight. I need to know that savior, the savior who saved Billy, the savior who saved Vinny, the savior who saved Joe. Please, I want to know him tonight. If there is anyone who is interested in becoming a Christian, I'm going to pray a little prayer now. And really, it's just a reflection of what's going on in your heart. And if you'd like to pray that too, just pray it quietly wherever you are. Just cry out to God and he promises to hear you and he promises to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know everything about me. You know that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for my sins. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. And today, this very day, I commit my life to him. I turn from my sins and I ask that you would give me eternal life. I pray these things in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Well, thank you very much, Joe. Uh, let's hand over to uh, Phyllis now. So over to you, Phyllis. Nice to have you here with us. And uh, Billy, there's a couple of football questions, so we'll get them out of the way, really. Um, can you explain to a non-Liverpudlian the obsession of the city towards football, please? Uh, um, I think you're just, you're just born. It's you're either red or blue. It's just it's in you. And I know from um, my my earliest memory was um, I think I was only about three. Um, and my dad took me to the, a non-league football match um, because we were staying with my auntie because my mum was having my sister uh, and I remember throwing um, a stone up in the air she had come on Liverpool and Liverpool weren't playing it was just a two non-league teams so it's, it's it's just something there you know and I think it's because we're so um, we're so successful as well over the past 30 you know from the 70s and 80s um, now we'll, we'll back being successful again. Oh, Vinny will hate that one, but it's it's just um, you, you'd have to understand the city. You know, you, you, it's too blue or red. It's as simple as that. There's no no in between. Um, it's like religion. It was when before I was saved. It was either my family were Catholic or Protestant. It was it was just those two things, and it's. You've got to be red. You can't. You can't be blue. It's... <laughs> oh dear. The next question then might be awful. Billy, what, what? do you think of Everton Football Club? And then we will get the football ones out. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably for my daughter. That's <laughs> <laughs> now, as I say, the the, the two brilliant teams, the, the the very very so much rival between the two teams and the two fans. But when something happened like Hillsborough. You see the true nature of, of the city coming out and it didn't matter whether you were red or blue. You know, we, we, we were together and that, that's, that's what it means. You, you, you have your rivalry on the match and that's it. But it's just 
that's all it is. You know, if people take it any further than that, then I'd have to ask if they're really football fans. Then you know, it's it's it splits families in two. You know, some parts of the family are Liverpool, some are blue, but. They're not a bad. They're not a bad team. Well, they were. They were in the 80s anyway. They were a good team in the 80s. They give us a run for our money then. So, <laughs> actually, this leads on to a good. The next question: Do you think Hillsborough had a long-term effect on Liverpool? Um, yeah, well, yeah. It's. It, I think a lot of it. Um, as I say, it, it brought the city together. You realised um, what it was like back. I say back back then. Um, the, the whole city come together as one. Uh, didn't didn't matter whether you were red or blue. Uh, and then I think as as the years went on, when we we didn't get listened to uh, a lot of it, as I say, a lot of a lot of the stuff that was going on with all the injustice that was going on. Um, that just shows you what the mentality of of the scousers are like. You know, we kept we kept going and kept going, not not for ourselves. But for the people who died, you know, for the for the ninety six who died, you know, the, they had no justice. Um, and you, as I say, it, it's it's one of them ones where you, you've got you had to be there to and know what it was like to to understand it and what it's like, you know, when when the city does come together, um, it's a, you, you get a lot of you get a lot of stick, but the, the, they are really genuine people who, who have a lot of love. For each other and for, for, for other people as well. So, and it's, it's still, it's still going on. You know, you, you see it every year. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. um, do you feel guilty that you were saved when so many died? I, yeah, I did at the, at the start. Um, as I say, until I became born again, I was racked with guilt. You, you had all this, you know, why me? Why did I die? You know, I had two friends who died. Why didn't they come home? You know, and you just this constantly going over in your mind. This, I think they, some person put it as survivor's guilt or something. Um, but I don't, I don't know. You know, why do some people die? Why, why do some people not die in situations? Um, I just know that I've been given a chance, you know, to now to preach the gospel. You know, to, to show people that Jesus is alive. Um, I've got a fantastic family. You know, unbelievable family, which I wouldn't have had. Uh, I, I don't know. I it's one of those questions you can't really answer. But I, as I say, I did. I, I did suffer terribly with the guilt. Yeah, yeah can understand that. Um, next question is a bit difficult. Did you feel any bitterness, or do you feel any bitterness towards those who were managing the crowds on that day? Uh, at the time, I did. Yeah, back as I say, it, it's all pre becoming a Christian, you know, there was a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, um, a lot of resentment, you know, because it could have been avoided if, if people in authority would have listened to the football club, listened to the fans, because it had happened the year before. I think it wouldn't have happened again. You know, there was just, there was lots of little things coming out. Um, and as I say, before I became a born again Christian, even even after I got saved, the first few years there was still a lot of bitterness inside me over it. But I just know that the it was something the Lord had to really work on me, and I've got that peace now, you know, from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it, it's something um, you can't explain. It's this peace that passes all understanding, um, and the bitterness is gone. I don't I don't have any resentment for anybody. You know, it, it's happened. It's not going to bring those guys back. What happened? You know, if someone got blamed for it or an organisation got blamed for it, I'd, you know, it's it's something that it, it'll never bring those guys back. Yeah. But as I say, it's, I did suffer quite a lot with with the bitterness, and it, it's something that eats you up as well. You know, everything was it becomes this. Um, for me personally, anyway, I was quite quite a hateful person over the whole thing. Well, but I say that was before I found Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, earlier on you said that you were not a church goer. Yeah. Uh, why did the family not go to church? Did you ever think about God and what about the purpose of life was? Uh, no, no, not really. 
Uh, so my mum and dad were, were Christians, um, but I used to hate them coming down. And when they all come down with the guitars on and they'd be singing all these hymns in the house, that was that was a green light for me to go out the house then. Um, I just I didn't I just didn't have any. I didn't want anything to do with it at all. I didn't believe in it. Um, I was, it was just, I was just me, me, me. That's all. I, I just wanted everything for me. Um, I just had no time for God. So I, I did used to go to church when I was in school, when I was primary school, um, because the, the school used to go, uh, and the, the Cubs, I was in the Cubs. So they used to go once a month, but I was more concerned because I was missing the Sunday league football that I had to go to church. So I was just hoping that it'd finish quick so I could go back to the football. But as I say, never, never interested me at all. When you talked about hearing that voice, do you think that anybody else in the crowd heard the voice? Have you met anybody else that heard a voice? Um, No, I haven't met her. I've I've heard of one person um, talking, uh, someone I was talking to said they'd heard someone else had said that had happened to them. I, as I say, I don't know. I've never spoke to anybody. Um, I hope, I hope the Lord spoke to everybody. Of, you know, why, why would he just pick me out? I'm sure he would have spoke to, to everybody there because you know, he is a loving God. Um, and he doesn't have favorites, you know, especially me. I'm not, I wouldn't have been his favorites at the time. But as I say, I do know there was, as I say, one other person who was saying that they had spoke, the Lord had spoke to them. So, yeah. Great, that's grace for you. Um, do you still have nightmares and how do you deal with your nightmares? <laughs> Only if Man United start winning the Cups again, I'll have a nightmare. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if any hear that one. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't want to have them anymore. No, the Lord's totally put me at ease there, put me at peace. Um, as I say, they're just, Nothing, nothing there now. It's, he's, he's just taken everything away that used to, to hold me back, to bring me down, you know, to stop me from walking forward. But he's, through his love and his grace, he's just stopped it all. So, and I say I'm, I'm able to, to talk like this now about it. Whereas before I wouldn't, it took me to quite a few years before I could even speak about it to people. But now I've, I've got the peace in my heart now. So I want to tell people what's happened. Did you have to give evidence at the Hillsborough inquiry and were you able to talk about your faith if you did? No, no, I didn't, um, didn't get asked and didn't, uh, I, I, I prayed about the whole situation, but I didn't feel I was able to go. I say I, I have spoken to people about it, um, but they just seem to totally ignore when you start mentioning God. And I think once you say, once you start mentioning that someone spoke to me, they just think, I'm, I'm nuts. So they just uh, like brush you out the door sort of thing. So that's a sight. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. I'm afraid another uh, football question has slipped in. Yeah. Was well, Bill Shank right to say football is more important than life or death? Yeah, before I become a Christian, it was, yeah. Well, it's because it's I say it's, it's, it, 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 you have to be, um, I think to, to understand what he was saying was you, you have to be from a city where football is everything. You know, there's a few like Newcastle, there's the, the same similar fans. You, you've got Manchester, you've got Liverpool. Um, but it's, it's not more important than life at all. You know, it was only a football game. We should have just been down, cheered our team on and come home. You know, no, no football game should ever take anybody's life whatsoever. It's, it's sport. At the end of the day, it's sport, isn't it? So. Comes and goes. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Um, I'm going to give you some time to answer this and ask a question to Joe, and maybe I'll ask Joe the same question. Do you have a favourite verse? So before you answer that, I'm going to also ask Joe. But Joe, there's another question for you. You refer to Jesus as a hated person. Why do you think some people hated him so much? Yeah, I think... Um... Uh, to quote Vinny, actually, Vinny, who was interviewing Billy, he once said, you know, um, if you're a, like a drug dealer, or if you're a robber, uh, do you buy a house uh, next to a next to the chief constable of Manchester? You don't, do you? Because you're going to get found out. And it's a bit like that, really, because Jesus is so uh, righteous, because he was the light of the world. Uh, the Bible says men love darkness more than 
more than light. And because we love our sin, Jesus sort of puts a beam on that and says, no, actually, come and follow me. Give up your sin. Uh, but some sins are very precious to us uh, and we don't want to give them up. But I would just say if there's anyone listening, uh, a bit like the, the song goes, the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. Sin won't satisfy. Uh, ultimately, it, it, it leaves you bitter and it leaves you empty. And Jesus does satisfy. So I would just say come to him. OK, and um, there's another question for you here. And um, was there no other way that we could get forgiveness from Jesus? Why did he have to die when he did nothing wrong? Yeah, I mean, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the father except through me. Um, God's standard is, is perfection. So uh, we, we were either 100 percent perfect or, or we can't get into heaven because, as I said before, we'd ruin we'd ruin <laughs> heaven like we've ruined this earth. Uh, many times I've, I've made my wife cry before. Uh, many times I've told lies. I've got into fights. Uh, I've ruined. I've done my bit to, to ruin, to corrupt this earth. So if we went to heaven as we are, as sinners, um, we'd, we'd, we'd just wreck it. Um, so that's why we need Jesus, the one who never did anything wrong. He's the one. His blood can wash as white as snow. Um, there was a legal transaction that took place. So it's a bit like this. Um, you and I were wearing this dirty, filthy garment where we're covered in rags of unrighteousness. We're, we're just filthy. But Jesus is wearing this perfect uh, cloak of righteousness. And Jesus says, here, I'll wear your rags. So he takes them and he says, here, you you wear my cloak of righteousness. So God doesn't see Joe Kirby anymore and his lies and his nastiness and his sin. He sees the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ because I've received it as a gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You just receive it uh, like you'd receive a gift at Christmas time. Okay, Joe. Um, so, Joe, favourite verse? Uh, yeah, it's um, I think it's Second Corinthians five, verse twenty-one. I think that's the reference. But it says, just really on the back of what I said, then He made Him, that's Jesus. He made Him uh, to be no sin. Sorry, He made Him who did no sin to be sin, so that we might inherit the righteousness of God. Uh, so, in other words, on the cross, Jesus Himself actually became our sin, and that's why God crushed Him on the cross. So that we might inherit his righteousness. So, again, it's that swap, that legal transaction. We're paupers, uh, but we're made spiritually rich for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you answer this question in a um, one minute? Why can't you just accept Jesus as a great example and a teacher? Why do people take him so much more seriously than that? Is that from do you want, do you want Billy? To <laughs> that, and then we go to Billy for his favourite verse and close. Yeah. I mean, why do people take him so seriously? I would say. Again, he's risen from the dead. If if anyone else, the Apostle Paul says, if if someone can prove to me that the resurrection is a load of rubbish, well, then our faith has no meaning. And it's the same thing. Jesus alone is the one to beat the grave. So if, if someone else can do that, if someone can prove to me that that's nonsense, uh, then I won't be a Christian anymore. But the facts uh, and we can go into this, send an email to someone uh, to David and we'll be able to send you some stuff over. But the facts stack up that he really did beat the grave so thanks joe um billy favorite verse yeah yeah i've got loads but i say the one that i love to read out when when i go talking is um, joshua chapter 24 uh, 14 to 15 it says now therefore fear the lord serve him in sincerity and in truth put away the gods which your fathers saved on the other side of the river and in egypt serve the lord and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side or the gods of the Amorites whose land we dwell. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, as for me and my household, we'll certainly pray that your household will be serving the Lord. Um, I'll hand over back to Dave. Great. Well, thank you very much to Phyllis. And uh, thank you to uh, Billy and Joe, too, for answering uh, the questions. Well, we're just about uh, drawing to a close now. But if you do want to get in touch, uh, please do. Um, let me just put those up to remind you of contact details. Um, if you want uh, a free copy of the book, Where is God in a Messed Up World? Then just send an email to zoom at aov.org.uk. Uh, you can use that address to get in touch with us. 
Um, if you want to watch some of the previous Real Lives um, evenings, go to reallives.net. Uh, and as well, if 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 if, uh, if you go to reallives.net, you'll find a contact form on there. And if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, what it means to trust him, uh, if you want a free DVD about his life or a, a free copy of John's Gospel or a free New Testament, then uh, go to that website, reallives.net, the contact form, and um, you can tick boxes on there, send us your details and we can get those to you. But it's been uh, really good to have you all here with us uh, tonight. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you to Billy, particularly been great to have you here with us and uh, the Lord bless you. Thank you to Phyllis. Thank you to Vinny as well for interviewing him uh, too. So that's it uh, for the moment. Uh, We'll be back again sometime over the summer and uh, in the autumn as well. Uh, Do make use of all those resources, but uh, that's it. Um, from all of us uh, for the moment. So good night to you all and may the Lord bless each one of you. Good night.